The Shady Hoosier Detective Agency Ghost-Busting Mystery Episode 8 Chapter 8 The next morning we decided to visit Queet Hudsucker, the town librarian, to see what she knew about the Wyatts. The library was on the way to the White River Boat and Gun Club, where Dickie Freeman, Vini's boy toy, had promised he'd take a peek under the hood of the Impala. The car roared to life just fine, but was sending up smoke signals by the time we pulled into the library lot. Normally, Vini and I lugged around a Chilton manual. We fixed car problems ourselves, but the smell of the smoke and the burning engine was off-putting enough that we figured it might be best to throw a man under the hood. Dickie had been our mechanic over at the Lube It Up. We'd known him since high school. He'd recently retired. He'd do anything for Vini. Sad to say, I wasn't too proud to pimp out my best friend for free auto repair. Not that Vini minded. She'd always been a little sweet on Dickie. The old Chevy belched gratefully when we pulled into the gravel lot next to the library and came to a firm stop. The library was in an old yellow brick and limestone trim building. It sat on a little rise on a nice green plot of grass, shaded by maple and walnut trees. Someone had hung a children's swing in one of the trees. A steep limestone front entrance staircase was guarded by a pair of lions that looked just like the ones that guarded the New York City Library. Petunia and begonia beds surrounded the building. It was a great place. Not changed much from when the Carnegies had first commissioned it. The front double doors were all glass, heavy to hoist open, the doorknobs and railings all polished brass. The only change made in my lifetime was a wheelchair accessibility ramp that had been built off a side entrance. Inside, it always smelled like Murphy's oil soap and lilacs. And books, of course. Queet waved as we strolled into the library. She was down on her knees at the end of a row of books, shelving incoming and straightening the rows as she went. She was a touch humpbacked and liked to wear sweaters tied over her shoulders to hide the fact. Her gray shoulder-length hair still had a lot of curl and sass. Today, she was dressed in a red cardigan with white sequin butterflies. Her denim skirt was wide and dragged the ground when she stood up. Scoffed tips of hiking boots peeked out from under the frazzled edge of her skirt. Hey, gals, she called. Just got some new mysteries. Got that Aussie priest detective you like, Vini. Father Mackie John. Vini scurried over and latched hold of the book. Oh, that Father Mackie John is a little haughty, she said. I wish he'd toss the cloth and ravish that Irish housekeeper of his, Miss Elizabeth. A teenage girl, a volunteer library aide, 
slumped by with a tower of children's picture books. She had white earbuds plugged into both ears. She eyed Venie suspiciously. Venie paid her no mind. She took her father Mackie mystery book to the checkout counter. Queet asked what we'd been up to. Saw that story on the Hoosier Squealer site. My, oh my, you gals certainly lead exciting lives. April got anything on that body yet? Venie sniffled as Queet scanned the book. Nah, we was hoping you might know something about Jedediah Wyatt and his kin. Got some stuff about them in the Nobby Waters history archives. Most of it isn't scanned. Still in folders. Got a box or two in the town history archives. Let me fetch that stuff for you. Queet scurried away. Vini and I sat down in some soft, velvety red chairs in the reading room. I started peeling pages on a ladies' magazine while Vini flipped through her new novel looking for the trashy parts. Oh, boy, she said. Listen to this. Father Mackie John felt his manhood stiffen when Miss Elizabeth came into his private chambers. Her bosom was swollen with despair. Or was it desire? A young mother dressed in a black and gold Purdue t-shirt and white pedal pushers crept over. She put her finger to her lips and made a shh sound. She pointed to a wall sign that read, This reading room is for the enjoyment of all. Please be quiet and courteous. Vini stuck her false teeth out at the woman. Well, I never. Vini said, Well, maybe you ought to. You might feel better if you did. The woman stormed across the room. She sat down at a table alongside what appeared to be her son, a kid maybe nine years old. He was reading a book about pirates. The woman gave Vini dagger eyes for a couple of minutes, but gave up when Vini wiggled her ears at her. The woman eventually buried her nose in the current issue of Good Housekeeping. Queet motioned for us to join her in the community room, back by the restrooms and coffee machine. Got a few things for you gals, she said. Vini took the folder from Queet and spilled the contents out onto the table. There were some photos, a couple of tintypes, and some regular prints. The documents were mostly legal papers related to the bank and the mansion. So, Jedediah was real, huh? Queet adjusted her reading glasses, which hung on a pearl chain around her neck. He was very real. Took $20,000 in gold and silver with him the night he rode out of town. The bank's last audit and balance sheet is in there, stamped by the regulators up at Indianapolis. That's him, right there. Queep pointed to a tintype. Jedediah Wyatt was sitting stiff as a board in a high-backed, velvet-padded chair with carved lion's heads on the arms. His face was tiny and wrinkled like a raisin. He had a handlebar mustache waxed to a curl on each end. He was wearing a top hat and a gentleman's silk scarf and brocade vest. He wasn't very tall because the photographer had put a velvet-tuft stool under his feet so they didn't dangle in midair. 
His boots and spats looked spit-polished. He held a gold-tipped cane, like a king's staff, in one hand. Vini studied the photo. Snappy dresser, she said. Must have taken all morning just to dress that mustache. I can't even get Fergie Jr. to pull on pants before he goes out on the porch to get the mail. Queet clucked her tongue. Yeah, men used to dress a whole lot better. Now it's all buck-cracking hippie whiskers everywhere you go. I asked about the other photos. Queet fanned them out. Here's his wife, Alta Iona Aulis. This is their wedding picture. Married 1919, the week before the flood. He took off in the rowboat that same week. Never even gave her a proper honeymoon. They'd been planning to take a carriage ride down to Louisville and then on to see the sights in Atlanta. They planned to visit his kinfolk in the Southern Lady Fashion Saloons along the way. Jedediah was standing in this photo. One arm draped over the back of the ornately carved chair where his wife sat. She was trussed up in ten miles of lace. Her cheeks were puffy, like those of a child. Her long, light hair had been curled with an iron, so the ringlets fell down onto her exposed bosom. Her right eye was a little lazy. Vini commented, Holy corn dog! Candy, that's a medium we done hired, said the ghost was named something with an A. She even mentioned the name Alta. Why, she was just a baby, wall-eyed as a pike to boot. What happened to her? Nothing good, sorry to say, said Queet. There's a paper in there attesting that she lost her mind when Jedediah left her. She was ordered consigned to the Indiana Hospital for the Insane in Corydon. Melancholy, the report says. That's rough, I said. How long's she in there? Probably died there. Place closed down after a fire in the 70s. Most of the records were lost. Back then, people lived in asylums until they died. What cures they had... Opium, cocaine, laudanum, lobotomies were far worse than the diseases. You thinking your skeleton might be her? I mused. Could be. But if she was committed and locked up down in Corydon, how'd she get back here? And what killed her? She have any local kin who might remember her story? Aren't the Aulises out on the brick plant road a part of her clan? Think so. Got a genealogy chart brought in by a fella named Randy Aulis. I think he'd be Alta Iona's brother, Jeb's great-great-nephew. Alta had but one brother, Jeb Aulis. Big lumber tycoon. Stripped the farmland down in the knobby water's bottoms. Ordered corn seed from South America, went on to plant corn, lost it all in the bank failure, and Alta's dowry to Jedediah. Vini studied the yellowed papers. Well, looky here. 
This here chart says Alta Iona had a daughter, Myrtle May Wyatt, born eight months after Jedediah skedaddled. Reckon the old coot gave her a bit of a honeymoon after all. We all stared at the birth certificate. Jedediah was listed as the father. Anything else you can tell us? I asked Queet. It's all pretty much in that folder. Randy Allis brought that folder in back when we started the history archive. Said we ought to have this stuff. No one in his family was interested in keeping it. Said the mice were chewing it up. Glad he thought to bring it in. What happened back then was an important part of Paw Paw County history. Banks weren't regulated then. That didn't happen until after the big stock market crash under FDR. Someone rapped on the conference room door. It was a man wearing Birkenstocks, a straw hat, and a rucksack. He said he had some books to donate for the library sale later in the month. Queet excused herself, told us to leave the file folder on the table and she'd reshelf it later. I asked Vini, should we pay Randy Allis a visit? Yep, think so. Vini checked her cell phone. There was a text from Dickie Freeman. He wanted to know if we could meet him out at the Boat and Gun Club early. He had a proctology appointment later in the afternoon and wanted to make sure there was time for him to crawl under the hood of the Impala and give it a once-over before the proctologist did the same to him. Vini texted him back, Sure thing, honey buns. And we were on our way.